Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for uh, a place that, that we call Woven, Lord God, but really it's just uh, another local uh, body of Christ, Lord God, as we believers um, call it, Lord. And um, Lord, we thank you that we have the freedom here to worship you, Lord, as we do. And Lord, let us not take that uh, lightly. Um, Lord, we want to bless you in, in not just coming here and gathering together and in fellowship, Lord God, but um, just living our lives out uh, for you, Lord God, and also letting other people see you in us and uh, also inviting them to this place, Lord God, where we can worship together and bring you, brothers and sisters, into your kingdom, Lord God. Um, because in the end, Lord, that's, that's what really matters, Lord God. Everything else in this world, Lord God, is going to fade away. And uh, we just bless you today, Lord God, to our helper, um, Lord Christ. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Bobby. Um, amen. Good morning. Uh, before I go into today's talk, I um, just want to clarify. Um, we were supposed to have a promotion, a kids' promotion today that was scheduled. Um, Cassie came down with, uh, she got sick, uh, I guess, overnight this morning called in didn't sound like she didn't sound too hot and so uh, we're praying for Cassie and that she gets better uh, and uh, apologies but I think we're gonna have to postpone the promotion uh, one Sunday at least um, so I'll check in with you Kyle and Cassie afterwards see how she's doing but um, typically uh, you guys have been here faithful and early and just want to recognize that so one sick day is uh, very reasonable for Cassie and, um, so just want to let you know she couldn't make it today for the promotion. We had scheduled it. Um, we're beginning a new series today. Beginning a new series today called Finding Your Voice. Finding Your Voice, a study through your favorite psalms. And as we were worshiping this morning, um, I realized that I hope through this series, uh, which will be maybe for about two months, I hope through this series it can be a chance college. Um, and uh, Alyssa was telling me about how John was trying out for the a cappella team back in the day. So I hope we can all, <laughs> sorry to put you on the spot, Doc, but I hope we can all find our voice, a cappella, so to speak, um, through this series, that we can all kind of, um, uh, through this series and through this summer, as a, as a core team, uh, as we emphasize especially fellowship, um, not only ex finding our expressiveness through worship, but finding the deep impetus why we lift our hands, why we look upwards, and give some theological underpinnings for that, for the expression of worship. And I think this will be a fun series. Um, I've already enjoyed starting this first, studying for this first one. Um, for me, it's, it's, I, I've always preferred the Hebrew over the Greek and just sitting and just meditating on Scripture is, is a wonderful thing for me. So uh, today, Psalm 121 and um, if any of you still would like to have a psalm and a Sunday dedicated to you, you can just indicate on your yellow communication card. I'm going to keep it anonymous. So Psalm 121 is for somebody here. And uh, you can also have likewise. Just let us know on the yellow communication card. Say my favorite psalm is so, so on and so forth. And then we'll follow up and have a, I'll touch base with you and then we'll dedicate a Sunday to you. Today is Psalm 121. Psalm 121, it's not very long which is good. Uh, it's, I think it's eight verses. Psalm 121. 
And uh, the subtitle for this psalm is a psalm of ascent. A psalm of ascent. That is to say, going up. We don't know exactly what the ascent meant back then. It could be a physical ascent, that this is something that maybe they sang while they were going up a mountain, or while they, while they were going up on a pilgrimage to somewhere. It could be a vocal ascent, so that kind of like we sang, you know, you're a good, good father, it's who you are, it's who you are, kind of going up higher and higher. Or it could be simply spiritual, a spiritual ascent where they're lifting up their spirits to God. Or it could be all of the above, physical, vocal, spiritual, lifting our souls up to God. What I know is this, um, every Sunday, every Sunday we come to church and a, an act of ascent is taking place. And I want, I want to teach you all this, that um, back in the day we used to call it something called a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice of praise. On any given Sunday, you might come here in a good mood or you might come here in a bad mood. Pastors are not exempt from this. It happens to everybody. Whatever happened in the last six days, we're not necessarily, say, we're not necessarily saying forget and just check it at the door. Sometimes you have to bring your burdens in. Bring your burdens in on Sunday. And if you look a little slumped over and your shoulders are a little drooped and your head's downcast a little bit and we can kind of tell, man, you had a rough week. But the thing about a sacrifice of praise, as it says here, a psalm of ascent, is that what happens is, despite how I feel, despite how I feel, I make a conscious choice Sunday after Sunday as I show up here to lift my head up in ascent, to open my shoulders up and to raise my hands in worship. And I can say, Lord, my week was terrible. But this is who you are, and who you are to me never changes. And as a result, I am here not just to praise you, but to lift my head up. Um, for those that are here to set up early, you know that my Sunday morning pump-up music is uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Um, and it's this kind of uh, disco, really upbeat music. It's not exactly church music, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you that. But the thing about it is it definitely puts a smile on my face on Sunday morning. It reminds me in a strange way, it, it reminds me in a strange way that I'm here because I'm worshiping God even if I don't feel like it. So Wayne, whether you like it or not, you put a smile on your face, you lift your chin up. You lift your chin up and you open up your chest. Because when we worship God, not only does He deserve our best, but how we feel improves based on our sacrifice of praise. So bring your best Sunday morning after Sunday morning. I know life happens. But when we come and you lift your chin up, by the end of an hour and a half, we actually feel a lot better. So a psalm of ascent is what we're talking about today. And uh, we're going to work along three headings if you look in your bulletin the first heading is who can I look up to who can I look up to the second heading is who is he and the third heading is who is he to you who is he to you there's three key pronouns in there when you work your way through Psalm 121 it shifts it starts off in first person singular I 
I lift my eyes up. I, me. It starts off with me. And sometimes when you enter into the church, you can't help it. We're, we are self-absorbed. We are kind of me, 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 I. And that's okay in the beginning. But we can't stay. We can't stay there. So we start off with I, me. But then with the second heading, we move to the second pronoun, which is the third person singular, he. And we affirm, this is who God is. I've had a tough week, but I affirm today, this is who God is. This is who he is, third person singular. And then in the third and last heading, we round it off with the second person singular. Who is he to you? Who is he to you? Who is he to me? Who is he to you? You. I, he, and you. So we'll start off with that first heading. Who can I, who can I look up to? Who can I look up to? In Psalm 121, verse 1 to 2, I'm going to read verse 1. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come from? I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where shall my help come from? In Israel at the time, and even today, the mountains were not that big. The mountains that you might be familiar with, when I was on the West Coast, we had the Rocky Mountains. These were, they were just colossal. But in Israel, the mountains, you, you could scale these. You could scale these mountains, you could climb to the top and come around on the edge. They were kind of like very large hills is what they are. So when they say mountain, they're not, at least in these regions, not very big mountains. And let's say at the time you were in a valley, and many times the word valley is used throughout the Old Testament as a metaphor for being in a low place, for being in a trapped, difficult situation, because you're in this valley and you're a sitting duck. And you might be surrounded, for, you might be surrounded by enemies, you might be surrounded by difficult circumstances, and so what do you do? You look up to the hills, to the mountains, and you look across the range, where is my help coming from? You're hoping that somewhere you'll hear a shofar going and then you'll see a single silhouette there and then two and then three and then you'll see an army crest over the ridge. And then they all go la, 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 and there's a war cry and then they're all ready to come sweeping down the hills to fight on your behalf, to take down your enemies that have gotten you surrounded and to rescue you. So the biblical context for this is somebody lifts up his eyes to the hills, lifts up his or her eyes to the hills, looking for help, looking for reinforcements. Who's on the ridge when I'm in the valley? Who will come to save and to rescue me? And the answer, the answer here in verse 2, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Just think about that for a second. When I hear that, I think of one of two things. One of two things comes to mind in that verse. On the one hand, this might be somebody that is in his first or second battle. He or she or you're in your first difficult situation and you're in the valley, you've never been there before and you're going through some severe difficulty in your life 
and you're looking up to the hills and you're constantly looking up and you're wondering when is my help coming and you make this almost you, you've got to make this confident assertion help is coming I think help is coming my help will come help comes from the Lord so on the one hand there's this sense where there's this exertion this hopeful talk self kind of self uh, self-help talk help will come I hope help will come help is coming I hope right maybe but then on the other hand maybe this is also talk my help comes from the Lord this is confident talk it could go both ways my help comes from the Lord because I'm a little bit older I'm a little bit grayer you've been around the block you've been in the valley before You've gone through suffering before and you've, you know what it's like to look up on the ridge and to see your help cresting over. So you're not as insecure anymore. You're not nervous. You're not worried. You're not constantly looking up in the hills and saying, is help coming? You can relax and rest easy. You know the definition of the word serenity because you know that this too shall pass. You know that the tide goes out, but it will come back in. You know that success is not always final, but failure is not always fatal either. You know that good is coming. You know that God is just over the crest. And therefore, you can say quite confidently, unpack your lawn chair, sit back, relax, and you know how to wait because help, my help, from the Lord it's one of the two for some of us neophytes that are new to this thing called faith we either have to exert faith and say I think help is coming but for some of us who know who know the roadmap we know that help will come if I can use a sports analogy let's say it's the fourth quarter it's the last play of the game you're a rookie team and you have the chance to either kick the ball and tie the game or to run the ball in and win. And you're nervous as, as ever. Can we do this? Can we drive the ball through? You're looking at the stance. Or maybe it's the fourth quarter of a basketball game. The game is tied. You're wondering, can we close the deal? Or maybe it's the ninth inning and you're wondering and you have these butterflies. But then sometimes, if you're not a rookie team, let's say in another case, you're not a rookie team, but you're an experienced team. You're a team that's been to the championships before. You're a team that knows how to play in clutch moments, and you know that God will come through. You know that everything will work out as long as you focus on your game. You're not so much putting on game face and faking it till you make it. You know. You just know. It's one or the other. Sometimes faith is like that. Sometimes faith is like that. And so I ask you this morning, which one are you? Is faith for you the first step? Are you still a rookie? And that's okay. We all start in some ways. I, I still feel like a rookie because at times I'm still looking up to the hills. God, are you going to show up? Or have you been around the block? Have you experienced, have you experienced this thing where you've seen God show up and you know time and time again it's okay? I went to the doctor about two weeks ago uh, just for, you know, a case of strep throat. And 
she told me my blood pressure was high. <laughs> and she says, it could be just because you're sick. Um, or it could be the nature of your job. <laughs> but whatever the case may be, I think maybe I'm still looking at the hills. Maybe I'm still nervous. Maybe I'm still learning this thing called faith, trusting that God's got it under control. I know for some of you, you've gone through difficult things. And you know that help is coming and cresting over the hills. And so I'll just read this one more time. My help, it comes. It comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Who can I look up to? Help is coming. Relax. I know that God is there. So, if help is coming, this is the second heading. Who is the help? Who is he that is coming to help? Who is he? Second, I'm sorry, third person singular. He. Who is this help? So look at verse 3 and 4. So now we shift away from the I, from the I, and we look at the He. He, God, will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. And behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And so we're shifting away now from first person, talking about the third person, He. This is who He is. This is His character. First of all, let's address who is He. Who is this He that's being spoken about? This is important because the answer is in verse 2. If you look back, if you have your Bible in verse 2, what does it say? My help comes from the Lord. And when it says the Lord, there are two ways that this will appear in the Old Testament. One way is capital L, lowercase o-r-d. And when you see that, that comes from the Hebrew word Adonai, which can, can mean anything. When you, when, you, when you speak to maybe a prince or a noble, you might call them Lord, Adonai. Capital L, lowercase o-r-d. You might say, I'm looking at the hills, I'm looking for help from the noble, nobleman or the, the royalty. I'm looking help from the local mayor or the social services or something. But that's not what it says. It says capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And whenever you see that, Whenever you see that, and take note of this, instead of capital L, lowercase o-r-d, when you see capital L-O-R-D all the way through all caps, what you have there is the holy name of God. The holy name of God, uh, Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey, literally translated Y-H-W-H. This was such a holy name that good Jewish people all the way back throughout history were not allowed to pronounce it. Whenever you came up to Y-H-W-H, they would pass over it, and instead they would say just Lord, Adonai. But when you see it in all caps, you know that what's being referred to there is the holy name. It's called technically the Tetragrammaton, the four holy letters. In fact, they're just consonants, Y-H-W-H, what we Christians today call Yahweh. But nobody really knows what those middle vowels are. Some people have mistakenly called it Yehovah, but nobody really knows that for sure. That's a misunderstanding. It's not exactly Yehovah, it's just you're not allowed to pronounce it. The point is this, the person that this psalmist is waiting for is none other 
than capital L-O-R-D, the Tetragrammaton, the Holy of Holies, God himself cresting over the hills. Sometimes in our lives, we look for help from mom or dad or maybe from the lottery or maybe from something to come through or maybe from our boss or maybe whatever. But unless we come to the point where we can look to the hills and expect none other than the Holy One Himself, we're putting our hopes in vain things. He's putting His hope and waiting for none other than God to crest over the hill. Who is God then? What is He? Three things, really quick. What kind of person is Yahweh? Three fill in the blanks. What kind of person is this holy God that's about to crest over the hills and save him? First of all, that person is involved in my life. Involved in my life. It says in verse 3, He will not allow your foot to slip. He will not allow your foot to slip. Has anybody here ever turned their ankle in a sports accident or anything? I've turned my ankles so many times I can't even remember. Sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for not good reasons. I just have weak ankles. But when it says he will not let your foot to slip, that could mean a number of things. It, it could mean he's not going to let bad things happen to you. He, he won't let you fall and hurt yourself. He won't let bad things befall you. Maybe he won't let you sin in the Christian worldview. We understand this. He won't let you uh, fall into condemnation. I think the point is this. Like a good shepherd, like a good shepherd, the paths that we tread that cause our ankles to turn a lot, I mean, if you could see my feet, my feet do this a lot, very easily. If I step on a, a bad stone and it, it just turns. The dangerous paths that we are apt and inclined to constantly go, the dangerous paths that just by nature we constantly go off the God who is involved in our lives like a good shepherd leads us on better paths and better ways. He will not let your foot slip. He will not let you fall because as a good shepherd, he wants to lead us on better paths. So by leading us onto better paths, this tells me, and that's the first fill in the blank, he is involved. He is involved in our lives. He's not the shepherd that stands on top of the mountain and says, come on up, come on up, I'm waiting for you. He's the shepherd that comes down, meets us where we are, and guides us along paths so that our feet do not slip. Now, just to quickly clarify, does that mean we'll never sin? I spoke about this a few weeks back on the first Fifty Shades of Grey talk, and I quoted 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. And I'll turn your attention to that. I think... This verse is kind of, it kind of says a similar thing. He will not let your foot to slip. It's very similar to 1 John 3, 9, where it says, anyone who believes in God will not continue to sin. And what that means is, he's leading us along better ways so that we slip and fall less and less and less. Less and less and less. It's the growth and sanctification. The second thing, what kind of person is Yahweh? He is a vigilant presence. He is a vigilant presence. It says in verse 4, He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He who keeps Israel will not fall asleep. He's awake 
He's present. <laughs> I know we just finished a long school year, um, and uh, but God never falls asleep. He never gets sleepy. He's always awake and alert. He's a vigilant presence. That's the second thing. Third and last. Third and last thing, and this is going to come together. I, I'll tell you in a second here. He is a protective presence. And this we see in verse 3 and 4. He who keeps you, keeps you. He who keeps you, keeps you. He is a protective presence. And this is something that I'd like to kind of riff on a little bit. That word keep, behind that word keep, there's a Hebrew word that I'd like to teach you today. Um, And that word is shamar. S-H-A-M-A-R. And it's worth writing down, and I'm going to tell you why in a second. Shamar. S-H-A-M-A-R. If there's one thing that, I, that I'd hope for woven, my hope is that we can become a meditating church. That we can disciple, um, uh, that we can be discipled as meditating Christians. Christians that know how to meditate on Scripture. And not just large portions, but even small portions, sometimes even one word. That word shamar, I think, is worthy of meditating upon because, uh, first of all, when you look in this passage, it appears again and again and again and again. It's a a repeated word in this chapter. Six times it comes up. Six times it comes up. Um, But the second reason is because Whenever we say a benediction or whenever we have prayers, I, I had a friend just this week that's leaving town, a good friend, and I hugged him ear to ear, and I said, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you. Keep. And that word keep is important because it means guard. It's one word appearing six times, but they've translated it numerous ways throughout this scripture. It's translated keep or guard or protect So if you meditate on this chapter, whenever you see the word keep or guard or protect, it's all the same Hebrew word, shamar. And that's a good word to meditate on because it's the notion that God does not let you go. He is your keeper. He is your guardian. He is your protector. It reminds me of a story. There once was a 13-year-old boy He just turned 13, and as a rite of passage, and it was a tribal rite of passage, he had to be sent to the edge of the woods, and he had to be driven into the woods. And so the tribe gathered at the edge, and the drums were beating, and finally they sent him into the woods, deep into the woods, and the boy had to spend the night on his own. And as he made his way, terrified, But this was his passage into manhood, into being an adult. And as he's terrified and walking through the woods, he hears all kinds of noises around him. He hears twigs snapping. Oh my gosh, terrified. He feels, he can hear the hot breath and feel the the presence of large animals menacing all around him. But he keeps going through the woods, looking for a place to lay his head. Somehow, the entire night, nothing harms him, nothing attacks him. 
At one point, the little, the 13-year-old boy is walking, and as he walks, he doesn't realize it, but he comes awfully close to the edge of a chasm. In fact, he trips and he falls. He slips. He slips into the chasm, but instead of falling to his death, miraculously, some vines catch him. He's saved, and he manages to make his way up. Finally, in a cold sweat, crying, afraid, wondering if he's going to last the night, he finds a little opening, a clearing, and a little thicket and a, and, a, and a nest where a deer, where a deer lay down. Looking around, he curled up, sucked his thumb, and fell asleep. The morning sun came up. And as it gradually began to rise, the little boy opened his eyes and he felt something. Somebody was standing over him. And when he looked again, he saw a shadow, a silhouette of a man standing guard with a bow and an arrow. And when the sun came up just a little bit more, he saw the man standing guard watching and he recognized it was his father and that the entire night his dad had been right there. That was part of the rite of passage. Dads would go in, and his father stood guard the entire night, involved, vigilant, protective, shamar. I know that for some of us here, that might have been your experience. I, I, I've heard the testimonies. I don't know how I got through. I don't know how I'm still alive today. There were times in my life where I should have died. There were times in my life where worse should have happened. But the unseen father was there, was he not? The unseen father was always there, was he not? And as a result... You're at a moment now, I hope, and I'm preaching here, I'm preaching the gospel. You're at a moment where I hope the morning sun is just cresting over the ridge and you're recognizing, you're able to see him clearly. The unseen father who has, who's throughout your entire life vigilant, involved, and protecting. Sunday after Sunday, I, I, I stand up here and I preach in the hopes, in the hopes that I can reintroduce somebody to their father. Most of, I mean, all of you here are core, but every time somebody walks through the door and I say, does that person know Jesus yet? I want to preach the gospel and see if I can somehow just allow that moment of recognition and reuniting happen between father and daughter, father and son that he was always there throughout the entire night, through your whole life, will you now be willing to meet, to meet him? I'll finish off with this third and last heading. Maybe somebody says, Dad, Father, why would I want to meet him? Who is he to me? Why, why, why would I even want to meet God? What need do I have? And that's the third and last heading. Who is he to you? Who is God to you today?
who is God to me? Who is this unseen father? It reminds me of another story, last story I'll tell. It's a Spanish story. It came out of Spain. When I say Spanish, I mean Spain. And it's a story of a father and a son who didn't get along. Father and son were yelling and arguing, and finally the son said to his father, Who are you to me? Who are you to me? And in a fit of rage, the son ran off. And the dad said, Who, who, who am I to him? I'm going to wring his neck. Where is he going? And finally, his compassion went over, and the father went out and he searched for his son all over Madrid. And as he searched for his son, he looked far and wide. He could not find his son. And in a moment of desperation, he went to the newspaper and he put out an ad. And the father, he wrote this. Dear Paco, you asked me who I am to you. I am your father and I love you. Paco, I will always be your father. I will always love you. All is forgiven. Please come home. Wherever you are, I ask you, Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at 12 noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. Come home. Saturday morning came around. Sun came up. For some reason, a crowd began to gather around the newspaper office. And by 12 noon, 800 Pacos showed up, all looking for love and forgiveness from their fathers. <laughs> Maybe you're Paco. Who is he to me? Who is God to you? This is who God is to you. And I'll close with these words. The Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the Tetragrammaton, the Almighty, God Himself, He is your keeper. Shamar, again, that's the word, Shamar. He is your keeper. The Lord, Almighty, Tetragrammaton, again. Yahweh is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. Yahweh himself will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. Yahweh himself will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. I'd like to invite you just for the last 60 seconds, if we could put that up on the screen, verses 5 to 8. You can find it in your bulletin as well to just meditate on those verses. And for 60 seconds, just read those verses. Find the descriptions. Who is he to you?
looking back on your life, have you ever felt like you've had a moment where somehow God kept you alive? Where you don't know how you got through that experience? You don't know how the ball actually missed, just missed your eye? And you would have been blind at this moment except it just crushed your cheekbone instead? Or you don't know how it was that all those times, there's a brother not present now, but how all those times when you had needles sticking out of your arm, instead of overdosing and dying, you still lived? You don't know how all those times where you got into that accident and you were able to walk out alive? All those times where an incredible illness beset your life and today you can live and stand with faith and say help comes from the Lord? You don't know how in harm's way many times in your life you were able to walk away from that and still somehow say I'm fortunate to be here with my family and children. You don't know how in so many cases through illness, through ups and downs, you got through it somehow because the unseen Father was standing beside you the entire time, bow and arrow in hand, guarding, never left. But the unseen Father was there. Was he not, my brothers and sisters? If you can say yes to that, And if you can be ever so bold as to stand with me at this time, and I know that's awkward, but I'm going to ask Bobby to come up. We're going to worship anyway. But if you know that there was a moment that something kept you alive, something got you through, something allowed you to get through that difficulty, then at this time, let's worship together. And as you're led to stand, to identify and to say, my help comes from the Lord. He made heaven and earth, and I can confidently say,